0: This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. John chapter 15. Uh, We're continuing the series called I Am. We're looking at Jesus' statements about Himself. Today we're going to talk about I Am the Vine. I Am the Vine. John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, says, I am the true vine, and my Father... Is a gardener. Let's just pause there and let that sink in for a second, because we know that uh, that we, the Trinity—God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit—all are one, but they function in unique roles. And here, Jesus says, "I'm the vine, and my Father is the gardener." So that analogy is clear with us. On the verse two, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will become, it will be even more fruitful. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. On the back of your bulletin, there's a blank area that if you so choose to, you can take notes. I'm going to give you two things that are God's job as a gardener. And then I'll give you two things that is our job as branches. So we're going to look at two things about the gardener and two things that is our job as branches. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you're going to show yourself clearly. The revelation of Jesus, there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than who you are. Show us more about who you are so that we might be rightly related to you. We want to be people who love the Lord. We want to be people who are focused on the Lord. We want to be people who love Jesus and Lord, let that love just increase, just multiply today. Let there be an incredible focus on the Son of God and His work and what He wants to accomplish. And I know it's going to happen, Lord, because You're faithful to Your Word. You're faithful to, to do what You want to do, that, what You desire in our lives. And we are submitted to You. And so we submit to You. In Jesus' powerful and precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, last weekend I did something that was very, very unique for our family. We went to a place we normally don't go, and uh, we certainly never go, uh, all five of us together. We went to Rivergate Mall. (laughs) Through a set of circumstances I did not anticipate, all five of my family members, including myself, were there at the mall. And, you know, my wife, her love language is shopping. Now, I will say this about her so I don't mischaracterize her. She never has money to shop, so she's very prudent, but she just loves to shop. And um, so, years ago, we kind of made this arrangement that we would functionally shop separately. So, you know, whether it be Walmart or Kroger or whatever, we we do that because I get in, get out, and she just, you know, she she compares, you know, the milk price and lettuce price and all that stuff. So, very prudent lady, uh, which means that, Prudent means, just so I can be over-communicated here, means she does not spend money wastefully. That is my wife. Okay, all right. I just felt clarification all over her head right there. So that's what I just did. So we're at Rivergate Mall, and, and I, I didn't realize now what a stressful situation that is when people there at the food court are trying to get you to eat these food samples. I mean, they are aggressive. So after that stressful situation, we sat down, we decided to eat. We eat the food there at the food court. One of the older kids goes and, and gets a refill on the drink. And then my baby, six-year-old Lincoln, he decided he wanted a refill. But he didn't want just a refill that mom or dad got. He wanted to get the refill himself. So we went into negotiations together. I said no. He wore me down eventually because he's my baby and he's a little bit spoiled and I love him. I figured out a way. I, ga- I gave Lincoln a dollar and I said, okay, go over there and get your refill. But little did he know that I had planned a reconnaissance kind of uh, kind of a spying situation. I took his sister and I had got her to sneak around the tables and to hide so that he would be watched the whole time. So here he was with his dollar bill and he was so proud and he was going to get the, the refill and his sister was secretly watching him and I just felt like a great dad because I had figured out a way for him to do this. But a few minutes later he came back red in the face mad without the dollar and without the drink. And I'm like, where's your drink? Where's the money? And he said, I will not drink that because Abby was watching me. <laughs> you know, kids sometimes. Lincoln, he demonstrated something that's true for a six-year-old and that's true for you and I too, is that we all want independence. Sometimes we don't really care what we get. We just care how we get it. We want to be independent We want to make decisions all by ourselves. It happens with junior high kids too. If you're at the streets at Indian Lake and you walk around that outdoor mall, you'll see there's a 15-foot bubble around junior high kids that parents should not penetrate because they want their independence. You can always tell when someone's about 16 or 17 because they will twirl in their hand the ultimate symbol of independence, car keys. They want the whole world to know they are now independent. I think about our college kids. And when I think about their independence, there's two words that come to mind. Too much. They have way too much independence too soon. But yet, there's a natural progression in life. That there are positive things about us becoming more independent. Independent in our thought process. Independent in our decisions. And our whole culture. It's based around independence. We want to be free thinkers. We want to be free to assemble and and, and have the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech. Uh, We want to be independent. And yet in this passage, Jesus is using the analogy of the vine and the branch to call us to a completely different way of life than what we both aspire to and we enjoy. Because Jesus is calling us not to more and more independence. He's calling us to more and more dependence. Dependence not on the government, not on our parents, not on our neighbors, but dependence upon Him and dependence upon His presence. And He used the vine as the symbol of what dependence on Him means. I want to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 5. And as you're going to Isaiah chapter 5, let me talk to you a little bit about the vineyard and its significance to the Jewish people, God's people. They were very, very familiar with the vineyard being a sign for the nation of Israel. Throughout the Old Testament, God had used the vine as a symbol of what the nation of Israel were. The temple gates had on them a carved, a carved cluster of grapes that was a sign to God's people that they were to be His special vineyard. They were to be His special vineyard producing great fruit for them. On one of their coins, there was the cluster of grapes. Many of the prophets referred to Israel as the vine. The Psalms referred to Israel as, a, as the vine. It's fair to say that the vine, the cluster of grapes, was the national symbol of Israel. It was the national symbol of who God's people were. And in Isaiah chapter 5, Isaiah is speaking for God about His people. And it makes this analogy very clear. Read with me, starting in verse 1. It says, I will sing for the one I love a song about His vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then He looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem, the men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Think about that last line. When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? The Scripture here speaks of a nation. A nation who was supposed to be the vine. A nation who was supposed to produce fruit for the Lord. Well, what happened is that when it came time to gather the fruit, the gardener, God, came to the nation of Israel. And He saw that because of their rebellion and disobedience, that they were not producing the type of fruit He wanted them to produce. And so He let the vineyard go wild. It became full of thorns and thistles and weeds, and it never produced Fruit again. And that's exactly what the law is. Before Christ came, when we were under the law, we had to be completely perfect. We had to be, follow the law perfectly or we had no right to be in God's presence. And that was the old vine. That was the old system. That was the old way that we had to be close to God. And now here was Jesus. Jesus who was God in the flesh. He was right in the middle of God's people. He was right there in Israel. He was right among them. And in essence, if you can imagine this picture, He was standing in the middle of this vineyard that was unkept. This vineyard that was overgrown. This vineyard that no longer produced fruit. And He was saying, I am the vine. Standing right there, right there close to the temple, which was the spiritual symbol of the old way. Now Jesus was saying, I am the vine. I am the one who produces something great for God. I am the one who is going to make you fruitful. Now what the question comes, what is the fruit? What is the fruit? I suppose we could answer it a lot of different ways, but the best answer I believe is out of Galatians chapter five. Galatians chapter five says this the fruit verse twenty two says, Galatians five twenty two, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit, life in the Spirit, before Jesus came, before He baptized us in the Holy Spirit and gave the Holy Spirit, we were trying to, the people of God were trying to produce fruit just by following rules. But now the new vine is here. The new vine says, I am here to produce great fruit. Now, I want you to suppose, I want you to just pretend here that you are keeping a child, a he or she, whatever you want to suppose it is, and they want a cookie, and it's before dinner. So like any good babysitter or parent, you'll say, no, no cookie until dinner is over. A few minutes later, that child gets up from the living room you're sitting in, and they go to the kitchen. And you begin to hear some noises. You begin to hear a kitchen chair dragged across the floor. And then you begin to hear another noise, the cabinet opening. And just a few seconds later, you begin to hear another noise. You begin to hear the crinkling of a cookie package. And when that happens, as any responsible adult, you get up and you go to the kitchen. And there in the kitchen, you see this child with their hand stuck in the cookie package. Like any responsible adult, you'll say, stop, you're disobeying. So we have this scenario in our heads. Well, if this would have happened maybe in the 1950s, the child who had their hand in, we used to call it the cookie jar, but now the cookie package, would have said, golly gee whiz, I'm going to get spanked. As time goes on, now in the 1970s, 1980s, where a lot of us were raised, that child would have been, maybe said, oh man, I got caught, I should have been more quiet. Now, here in the 2010s, if this scenario were to happen to you, and you were to see that kid with the hand stuck in the cookie package, and you were to say to that child, you have disobeyed me, they may say something like this, with their hand in the package, don't Judge me. I've actually had young people that I've worked with who I have caught in doing something that was clearly wrong and the response was don't judge me. Even though my hand is in the cookie package, don't judge me. You know that is, that is the greatest sin of our generation, our self-proclaimed sin. We constantly say don't Judge me like it's the worst possible thing that could happen. In fact, I think Americans, the only scripture that they have memorized is, Judge not, lest you be judged. That's the only thing they like that Jesus said, and he did say that. And Jesus did tell us not to have judgmental spirit and judgmental attitude and to misjudge people, and that's his job. But he did not say, you were immune from judgment. Just because you're not supposed to have a judgmental attitude doesn't mean that there's not a judgment happening. And if your hand is stuck in the cookie package, or if you're involved in a sin, or you're doing something that you know that's not right right, and you know that's against God's ways, it is sin. It is wrong. Don't take the attitude of, well, you know, don't judge me. You don't know my motives. Here's the first two things I want you to write down. The gardener's job, God's job, write down God's job, Take you notes, God's job is one. Here's number one. Judge our fruit. God's job, the gardener, is here to judge our fruit. And I just want you to remember this, that just because you don't like people who are judgmental, and you try not to be judgmental, that doesn't mean that God can't judge the fruit of your life. God is a fruit inspector. And He's looking at your life. And He's looking at your actions. And He's looking at your motives. And there are things in your life that are good, that are pleasing, that are from Him. And there's things in your life that are sinful and rotten and bad. And that is simply the truth. Look at verse 2. Jesus said this, "...He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit." He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit." God is inspecting the fruit of your life. He is looking for the things in your life that are not abiding in Him. Because there's things in your life that are not abiding in Jesus. There's aspects of your life. There's branches in your life that are disconnected from Jesus. And those are the things in your life that are going to bring death, that's going to bring rotten things in your life. Because they're not abiding in Him and where He's supposed to be. 1 Peter 4.17 says it this way. 1 Peter 4.17 It is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Can I just tell you that it's time for us to get into the presence of the Lord and let the presence of the Lord and the Word of God tell us, this is sin, this is not. This is good, this is bad. Instead of taking and adopting this incorrect attitude of the world of like, oh, nobody can judge me. I'm my own person. I'm independent. I make my own decisions. No. No, you're a bond servant. You're a slave to God if you've given your life to Jesus. You're a slave to Him. He determines our lifestyle. He determines our choices. And as you get to know His Word better, there's simply times that the Word of God is hard to obey. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's just hard to obey. But you have to obey it because you're totally dependent upon God and you're not living this independent life. Dependent upon Him. You see, we're part of a body of Christ and one of the multifaceted purposes that we we exist for is so that we can encourage each other to have good fruit. We can create a culture, a subculture here that is different. A subculture here that that we are seeking after the things of God. We're not living like the rest of the world. We are separating ourselves for the things of God because we want to know Him more. That's what God has called us to do. Every Friday we have a, a small group who meets here and does intercessory prayer and I join them most weeks. I join them for part of the time and this last week I came in a little bit late and we started praying and and they had already been here for, for quite some time. And as I began to pray, I started filling some things in my spirit. So I said, hey, let's just all get together and pray about this. And the word sanctuary just kept coming in my, my heart and spirit. I kept saying, "This we are a sanctuary. I mean, we're, we're different from the world. We're set apart. We're not to be in sin. We're not to have sin in the church. We're, we're supposed to be unique, God's chosen people. Well, I'm saying these things kind of in a prayerful way. And one of the gentlemen is praying with me starts laughing. And I'm thinking, well, this is not really a laughable situation. I'm like, what What in the world is happening? So, uh, you know, at the appropriate time, I asked him what was going on. And he said, Aaron, he's like, before you came in here, we were praying some of those very same phrases that you were praying. I had no idea. That was the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit confirmed to me and confirmed to them. That's what he's saying. You see, I, in our, as a body of Christ, can I just tell you that we're here to encourage each other to the higher things in the Lord. It's always a bad thing when a church begins to have dysfunction in it and they, the church begins to interrelate with each other and actually promote sin among each other. Sometimes we don't realize sin of gossip, sin of sexual immorality, sin of unfaithfulness, and we don't realize that. Man, as God's people, we need to understand that God is judging our fruit. He's inspecting our fruit. That's His job. He's the gardener. It's not our job necessarily to point out and try to guess what people's fruit are. It's our job to stay in the presence of God. And if you stay in His presence, He will show you what is sin and what is not sin. If you stay in His Word, He'll show you what is sin and what is not sin. You know, in sculpting, there's this legendary story that has been attributed to a lot of different people. At one time, it was attributed to Michelangelo, but uh, it probably was not the case as so often happens in history. Abraham Lincoln and Michelangelo and all these guys, Tom Sawyer, uh, they're, they're, they have all these quotes attributed to them, Benjamin Franklin especially, that they never said. But the story goes like this. The sculptor was once asked, how is it that you take a piece of marble and know what to cut away to make a marble elephant? And the sculptor's response was this. You just chip away Everything that doesn't look like an elephant. Think about us in the spiritual realm. That that's what God's trying to do with us. God is eliminating things in our life. Eliminating dead things in our life. Eliminating things in our life that's not connected to Him. That has become fruitless and rotten and is dead. Here's the second thing I want you to write down about God, our gardener. Is He prunes. He judges our fruit. And he prunes. Prune means he cuts away. Look again at verse 2. It says, He cuts off every branch, in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, now look at this phrase, he prunes so that it will become even more fruitful. Isn't that incredible? I mean, some of you are seeing that right now in the natural realm. Those of you who are working in your gardens and working with your flowers, it's the irony of life. You cut off the dead stuff. You cut off the stuff that, that is no longer fruitful, and then it makes the plant even more fruitful. Sometimes in horticulture that uh, our plants and, and our flowers or so forth, our, our bushes, there'll, there'll be offshoots that are growing that just makes it unshapely, so we'll cut off that offshoot, and it Gives the plant the form that is beautiful, that is as it's intended to be. You know, God's doing that with you and me. He's cutting back things in our life that are no longer fruitful. He's pruning things. He's taking out the rotten things in our life. Why? Because He's a mean God? No, because He wants us to be even more fruitful. In my ministry, that I've seen that before a major change or before a time of growth, as, as, as I've looked back in, in retrospect, that there's been a time of pruning. And it wasn't always bad pruning. It was just a time that God took away certain things or certain people out of our ministry. And it was painful, and you're like, why, God? Why is this happening? But I believe it's to make us more fruitful, to get us ready for a change, to get us ready blossom more, to get us ready to grow more. And that's what the gardener does. That's his job. He's inspecting the fruit of your life. He's inspecting the fruit of your life and he's cutting off those things that do not measure up. The word prune is talking about a cleansing. It's another way to put it. He's here to cleanse us. And that's what God always wants to do. He always is wanting to cleanse us and make us more clean before him. To make us more authentic, more pure, more ideal than what he wants us to be. Well, how are we cleansed? In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, in the middle of this great dissertation on God and His love for the church, we're going to just key in on this one verse. It says, To make her holy, talking about you and I, the church, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. I want you to think about that. When you hear biblical teaching and preaching, when you participate in your Bible reading plan, Whatever plan you have, and there's a plan available at the communication center to read through the New Testament 25 times in a month. When you get into the Word, when you hear godly teaching, when you think about what the Word of God says, when you think about the Bible, it's it's like taking a wash rag and cleaning out your mind and cleaning out your spirit. That's what God does. And the Word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts things in our life it cuts those things that don't belong to God. Those things in our life that are no longer connected to the presence of Jesus, it cuts it away. And that's why the Word of God brings conviction and it causes us to change and it causes us to make decisions in our life. And that's a wonderful thing. That's an expression of our loving God and what He wants to do in our life. John, look at verse 6 of John 15. Jesus said this, If anyone does not remain in Me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. You've done that too. I've got a little pile on the side of my house, a bunch of dried up dead branches. They used to be green, they used to be flourishing, now they're just they'd be great, great little little firewood or start a little fire. Now the thing about this that's interesting is this, is that even when a branch is cut away, it's still a branch. It's still a branch. But if it's not connected the vine. It's not fruitful. And that's why I thank God that He grafts us back in. And He plants us back in. And he makes us the person He wants to be. I don't know if any of you remember what the world was like 15 years ago, but there was a time when we did not have the internet. Does anyone remember that in their mind at all? It's hard to remember that. Um, you know, my wife is from Appalachia, eastern Kentucky, and I go there a couple times a year. She goes probably three or four times a year on a good year. And uh, I remember in the late 90s that they didn't have a national carrier for cell phones. And so we would leave Lexington and you would get into this mountain range and you'd go over a hill and you would literally lose all phone service. That used to be so frustrating. I wish there was still a place like that today where you could go and there was no cell service. And so... Even this last week she was there and uh, even though things have changed and technology's just a little bit behind and, and there wasn't wireless internet in the home in her mom's home where she was staying and there it was. She was just telling me, I felt so cut off from the world. You know, no iPhone, no laptop. And that's how it is for us time. I mean, even here at the office, uh, when we were changing from when we used to office in this room to where offices are now, we had some days where the internet wasn't working and uh, I would hear... David or Penny say, "Internet's down," and when that happened, you you just felt like, "Oh, even though we're cut off from the world, you know, even though we're in the same offices with the same people in the same location, uh, and even though ten years ago, we didn't, fifteen years ago, for sure, we didn't use the internet, you just feel cut off from the world, and 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 you really are in some ways, you're cut off from the cyber world. If you're not, if you're not connected online, I mean, there's no way you can communicate to the rest of the world. You're just cut off. And, And I think about this analogy. That's how we are spiritually with Jesus. If if we realize that if there's no connection, there's no spiritual fruit coming. We we are completely dependent on Him. So the first thing I want you to write down is your job. We've already said God's job as a gardener was to look at the fruit and to prune. You, our job as a branch is number one to stay connected. Stay connected. That's like a no kidding Aaron point, but. It is so huge that we realize that because the enemy of our souls is attacking us on a regular basis. And it's amazing to me how on a Sunday I can feel so close to the Lord, but by Tuesday afternoon, if I haven't stayed in His presence, I can be so disconnected from God. And that is the enemy's strategy. He wants to disconnect us from our awareness of God. He wants to keep us out of God's presence. He wants to, to keep us out of the Word of God. It makes a difference. And if you're not connected to His presence, you're not going to produce the kind of fruit you want to produce in your life. That is just simply and plain what the Scripture says and what the Bible says. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 of John 15. Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. We've already established that. God's the gardener. Look at this part. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Is that not an incredible statement? Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, sure. I mean, you can go through the exercise and you can uh, act religious and you can, you know, have some good habits in your life. But the kind of fruit he's looking for, the kind of fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit, the kind of fruit that's supernatural, the kind of fruit that moves beyond your means, it only happens in the presence of the Lord. I mean, if, if you might have moved in a power gift of the Spirit at one time, and you you were able to pray over people and they were healed or prayed over people and say something meaningful from God and you're like yeah I've done that before I can do that before you know you might have done that before but if you're not in the presence of God today it won't happen again the way God wants it to happen because we're we're completely dependent upon his presence completely dependent upon him there's people in your life that are very difficult to love they're very difficult to to show God's love to and very difficult to have peace around them, and you won't have peace around them, and you will not show them love in your own strength. But when you stay connected to His presence, there's a supernatural love, and a supernatural peace that comes from God that is It's The only way to explain it is Jesus. It's Jesus in you, Jesus all over you that makes you fruitful and makes you exactly what God wants you to do and who He wants you to be. Here's the best news that we can have. God no longer expects you to be the vine. He no longer expects you to be holy and loving out of here. And that's what a lot of us are trying to do out of our mind and out of our spirit. I'm just going to be very loving today. I'm going to be very holy. I'm going to break this habit. God no longer puts the pressure on us. He says, you just abide in me. You stay in my presence and you will begin to be more loving. You will begin to be more fruitful. You will be everything God wants you to be. So God's job is to inspect the fruit and to prune. Our job is to stay connected. Stay connected to His presence. You know, in our church we have several people who have really been into gardening lately. You know, Doug and Sue Bagwell, they run this organic farm. And our youth pastor's wife, Margie, she has really got into gardening. And she's just this uh, little bitty lady that uh, you wouldn't realize how serious she is about this because she doesn't just make these little wimpy gardens, you know, like... This, like a little garden patch, this lady hires backhoes to get her garden started to clear the land. And I've just seen her work so hard, at and I've seen the product of it, clearing the land, getting everything ready. And because here in Hendersonville we have a lot of deer, I don't understand. As we get more people here, we're also getting more deer. That isn't supposed to happen, but... um, that I'll have to tell you the time that I almost get ran over by deer. That was a great time. Uh, Yeah, you know, know, usually people run over deer. I almost get ran over by deer. I have to tell that story now. Listen, I haven't chased a bunny rabbit in a long time. I'm usually like a really focused preacher now. But I'll just tell you this. Uh, Back in, uh, when I was living in Madison across the street from the mall in the late 90s, I was a jogger back then. I was going for a jog, and I'm just cruising along, cruising along jogging, and all of a sudden, um, all, all of a sudden, I had earphones on, and I felt the wind. And I kid you not, a deer skimmed me. This deer did not see me and just ran right across me, and I felt the wind of the deer move me. And all I could imagine is death by deer. That would have been all over the newscast. You hear about man running over deer. In Madison, Tennessee, a jogger was... I mean, this deer was probably going 25 miles an hour, so anyway... Help me, Lord. Okay, so Margie is back. Hey, if the 1115 service, you just got to throw some extra stuff in there. Margie uh, is working real hard, you know, putting the fence for the deer, putting the seed in, putting the fertilizer down, watering it, pulling up the weeds, all that type of stuff, hard work. Okay, what is the expectation at the end? The expectation at the end is this. is It's going to come a time when there's fruit. There is gonna come a time where there's fruit. There's gonna come a certain season of the year where you can grab the fruit, taste the fruit, eat the fruit, hand the fruit off to someone else. What is our job as a branch? Our our job is to stay connected, but here's the number two, and I want you to write this down. Our job is to produce. Our job is to produce. I love what verse eight says. This is to the Father's glory. Well, let this sink in as you read it with me. That you bear much fruit. This is to the Father's glory. That you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. I just want to tell you that it is God's will for you to grow spiritually. End of story. I mean, this type of attitude where we just say, Well, I'm just, you know, forever, you know, I'm just burned out or I'm just hurt. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm trying to be really mindful of that because that is a true reality. I understand that. Or I'm not what I used to be. I understand all that, but there comes a time when healing needs to happen and fruitfulness needs to happen. And you need to be fruitful for the Lord. You need to be grown. You need to become more like Jesus. That's God's will for you. That is His will. He is looking for fruit and He's looking for you to produce and looking for you to do something great for Him. He wants your life to be fruitful. And I want every single one of you, as your pastor, one of my heart's desire for you is to get closer to the Lord. Just to get closer to him. I mean, how how terrible would it be if a year from now and five years from now and ten years from now you're not closer to the Lord. You're not close. I mean, we are living forever increasing glory. That means that it needs to get stronger in our lives. We're moving forward. We're going higher. We're going higher. We're going deeper. We need to go deeper. We're ascending to the hill of the Lord. We're going somewhere in Him. And He is calling us to spiritual progress, more fruitfulness. You need, I'm going to say this with a smile on my face, if I can. You need to be more loving. I didn't want to be like, you need to be more loving. (laughs) That was quite a contradictory. But I'm going to say this, you need to be more loving. You need to be more patient. You need to be more kind. It's time for spiritual fruit in our lives. And it only happens one way. It doesn't happen through self-discipline only. It doesn't happen through changing your demeanor. It happens through abiding in the presence of God. And the presence of God gives you the fruit of self-control. And it makes you greater. Beth, I want you to come up this time. Here's what usually happens to us. Is This is very typical for many of us. We wake up one morning, a typical morning, and we are ready to have that perfect day with the Lord. We're going to have our devotions. We're going to make sure our kids' needs are taken care of. We're going to make sure that we share Christ with someone. We're going to be positive. We're going to be everything God's called us to be. And, and we wake up with those intentions. But then life happens. And challenges happen. And before we know it, we become negative And we become critical. And we've missed, some of the benchmarks we've placed in our lives before we know it even though we desire fruit in our lives and we desire spiritual fruit not only are we not producing fruit we just really don't like the rotten attitude we have we don't like the negativity we have we don't like the perpetual sins that we've succumbed to again the bad habits that have crept back into our lives and so what do we do? we get frustrated we get frustrated and then we just quit Say, this isn't for me. The spiritual life is not for me. I can't change. And when you get to that point, Jesus comes and He's inviting you. And He's inviting you and He says, Come to me. All who are weary, all you who have heavy burdens, come to me. That's not a one time event. Jesus' invitation is a perpetual invitation. He's inviting us to come. He's saying, I don't want you to be the vine anymore. Let me be the vine stay connected to me stay in love with me stay in my presence and I'll begin to produce in you the kind of fruit that you want and that I want in you can you stand with me this has been a church at indian lake podcast be sure to check out indianlakechurch.com for all updated news and information